Good morning. I love being up here with all the animals. I feel sort of a special connection with the armadillo. As we continue in our series in James, Lacking in Nothing, I want to begin with a story this morning from a Christian writer named Jen Pollock Michelle. And she tells, as she lives in Canada, she tells a story about how she came to develop a friendship with a young woman who had emigrated to Canada in the middle of winter, pregnant with twins and a toddler in tow, arriving at Edmonton. Supposedly, it was the first step in a family relocation with her husband, but it was a farce. Her husband abandoned her. She found herself all alone. Several churches stepped in to help this young mom with food and also with transportation. And then Safe Families Canada stepped in to help with foster care because this young mom gave birth to her twins prematurely. So her toddler needed foster care. She was essentially homeless. And Safe Families Canada put on their portal uh, her needs, the needs of this young mom, diapers and meals, and Jen Pollock Michelle responded to that need, and she stepped in, she developed this, this friendship with this woman, and here's where the story gets interesting for me. Um, after several years of their friendship, Jen Pollock Michelle says this, my friend's twins recently celebrated their birthday. I showed up with birthday cake and balloons, and soon the twins were punching the balloons and yelling at the, the top of their lungs. I talked with my friend about her doctor's recommendation to give her iron infusions to help with her chronic exhaustion. She looked exhausted. I felt exhausted. I've grown used to these weekend conversations around my friend's small kitchen table, and as often as I visit, she says, I wish I had conquered my resistance to showing up. I haven't. I read that and I thought, wow. Here's a woman who, with faith and friendship, steps into this messy situation with this mom. And I would have expected to say something like, this has brought me so much fulfillment as I serve this woman in the, in the name of Christ. And she says, yet I still battle my resistance to showing up. And that's why I like that story, because it's my messy story. That's my messy story, my messy resistance that I find in my own heart when serving someone in Jesus' name might demand of me energy or money or, God forbid, some of my precious time. But this is a story of two women dealing with a, a messy world together through a faith in Christ that really works. And that's what James wants to talk to us about this morning, a faith that really works, a faith in Christ that really works in a messy, very messy world. So please turn with me in your Bibles or find uh, on your uh, digital Bible, James 2.14. We're going to look at James 2.14 through verse 26 this morning. And I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, speak to us, illumine us, show us what you want to do in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ, even in this messy world, which you love so deeply. 
In Jesus' name, amen. James 2.14, we're going to look at this passage in two big blocks. So just remember, examine and engage. So in verses 14 through 19, James is going to ask us to examine our faith in Christ to see if our faith in Christ is producing fruit for Christ. That's examine. In verses 20 through 26, James is going to ask us to engage. He's going to talk to us. He's going to encourage us to engage those life challenges that are staring you in the face through faith in Christ. So first, examine. Does my faith in Christ really produce the fruit of Christ in a messy world? Does my faith in Christ produce fruit for Christ when and where it matters? That's verse 14. It'll be up on the screen for you. James says, what good is it, my brothers? James is speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The obvious answer is no. Notice that James doesn't say what good is it if someone has faith. He says what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works. The only way I can know that my faith in Christ is real is if it produces the fruit of Christ in my life. Not perfection. The fruit of Christ, the fruit of being changed by Christ to be more like Christ and that is airtight. And I'll tell you why. For I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, says Paul. And the life I now live by in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who lives in me to change me. How could he not change me? By his own mercy, his own strength his own compassion, his own wisdom. He will change me so that I can respond to precisely the situation that James gives to us in verses 15 and 16. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, God bless you. Thoughts and prayers for you, big guy. Without giving them the things needed for the body, What good is that, says James? It's no good. It's useless. Ouch. The question each one of us has to ask himself or herself is is not, do I have correct Christian beliefs? It's not the question, do I go to an evangelical church? It's not the question, did I pray a prayer sometimes? Did I have an experience of God? The question I have to ask myself is, do I have faith in the person of Jesus Christ who loved me so much that he gave his life for me on the cross to pay for my sins and then rose up from the dead to share his resurrection life with me? Do I have faith in that Christ? Because that faith will be working. Not working apart from Christ, that faith will be turning to Christ. Turning continually to Christ to change me. So I respond to my trials and temptations in a different way, James chapter 1. 
so that I speak with meekness instead of anger, as Mark's sermon uh, told us on James chapter 1, so that I pay attention to widows and orphans, so that I walk out of my partiality and begin to treat people as Jesus did, as Charlie so preached, preached to us so powerfully last week. You know, this can make us pretty nervous. It's painful to examine ourselves. But I would invite us to embrace the, the, the pain of self-examination that James gives to us here because there's something a lot, lot, lot worse than the pain of self-examination, and that's the pain of self-deception. The self-deception that says, I'm okay because I have faith in Christ. I'm okay if my life priorities never change. I'm okay if I spend my time and money like I always have. I'm okay if I do my sexuality my way. I'm okay if I really don't care much about the hungry or the hurting. I'm okay because I have faith in Christ. John Calvin said this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves works. And I love what Martin Luther, Martin Luther said, he said, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith in Christ. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. That's good, but I, I want to be very clear about something. I want to be absolutely clear this morning on this. James is not saying that if you do good things to help the needy, that proves you have faith in Christ. He's not saying that because lots of people do lots of good things to help the needy and they don't have faith in Christ. For example, uh, last August, the uh, chaplains of Harvard University elected the president of their chaplains, a man named Greg Epstein. He's an atheist. So he is the first atheist chaplain in the history of, of Harvard. And uh, Greg Epstein wrote a book that's called Good without God, what a billion non-religious people know. And he goes on to talk in this book about how he wants to help people who don't identify with any faith tradition to live good and, and ethical lives. And he says this, we don't look to a God for answers, we are each other's answers. Now, I read that and I admit I, I felt some outrage. And I thought, sarcastically, do the Ukrainians think that the people in Uvalde, Texas, or Highland Park, think that the people who are black and uh, Hispanic and Asian brothers and sisters who have suffered discrimination, do they, do they think that we are each other's answers? But sarcasm does not help me to be more like Christ. And I looked at Greg Epstein's picture on the internet. I prayed for him. I remembered that he wants to do good. He wants to be good. But I wish I could have a cup of coffee with him and, and tell him that Jesus Christ is not an answer. He's the Savior. He is the redeeming Son of God come down in flesh, and he loves to dwell among us, and he loves to pour out his grace on us because we can never be anybody's answer. I, I can't be someone else's answer. And so every time that you love and serve someone, as so many of you do, with a meal, loving and serving kids in our VBS, 
helping with the home repair, helping with the tax return, emergency child care, taking somebody to the doctor's office, taking somebody to the, to the grocery store. Every time you open your home, you open your refrigerator door, you open your wallet, you open your heart with love and friendship, you're not saying, I'm your answer. You're saying, here is an evidence of the love, power, and the grace of the one who saves us both, whose life-changing grace we both need. His name is Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are we uncomfortable yet? The theological elephant in the passage is in the second part. Here we have the applicational elephant because if you're thinking, you're going to be thinking, okay, I have a question. How much, how much fruit is enough? How much do I have to do to show that I really do have genuine saving faith in Christ? And what I will say to you this morning with all the love that I can muster is don't go there. Yeah, don't, don't go there. Don't be a fruit inspector. Because if we, if we do that, we begin to think of my faith in Christ and my fruit for Christ as two separate things instead of one integrated life in Christ. And James tells us in verses 18 and 19, you can't do that. You can't separate faith from works. You can't separate works from faith. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, says James, and this is an imaginary objector who comes onto the scene and tries to separate faith and works. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Two separate things. James says, basically, baloney. Show me your faith apart from your works, if you can, is the idea, and I will show you my faith by my works, one integrated life in Christ. So let me make this as practical as I can for us, because we start to separate faith and works, and we swing to either the side of defensiveness or drivenness. When we swing to the side of defensiveness, we say, I know a lot about the Bible. I believe the right things. I'm good. I don't, I don't really need to make changes. I do that very sincerely more than most of you. Because I had the opportunity to go to a seminary and learn all the right answers. But James says in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. When he says you believe that God is one, he's, he's re referring to the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That was the test of theological orthodoxy in the Old Testament. That's not some trivia verse about who was the father of Zephaniah. It, it's, the, it's the main deal. And James would say to us this morning, you know John 3.16? Yeah. You memorized Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, you know, the Nicene Creed, you do well. That's great. But you know what? Demons believe that, and they shudder. Demons know John 3.16. Demons know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They might even have copies of the Nicene Creed, for all I know. But they don't love Jesus. They don't repent. They don't have faith in Jesus. They don't follow Jesus and here's the scary part for somebody like me. It's all too easy to think, yeah, I, I know the right answers. In fact, I teach about them. 
I don't really need to look at my heart to see what Jesus might want to do in it. That's defensiveness. But then we swing to the other side, and the other side is drivenness. Drivenness. This church, and I take joy in saying it, this church is a church of love, service, compassion. We help each other. We counsel each other. We support each other. We pray for each other. Yeah, I've received the benefit of that. But have you ever felt driven? Like, Lord, there's so many needs. We have needs for all the foster home needs. And and there's human trafficking going on right here in in, in our city. And and there are refugee families. And they literally are poorly clothed and lacking in in daily food. And we're going to be pro-life and we're going to help women uh, we're going to support them as they carry their pregnancy to, to term. And, and the people sitting around me this morning need love and care. There's just so, there's so much, so many needs. Uh, what, 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 how much more fruit do I need to bear? And I am just a lazy, undisciplined, Netflix binging worm before you, Lord. And you know what the worst of it is? We swing, at least I swing. We swing like a pendulum. First we're defensive, then we're driven. Sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same morning. Anybody else ever done that? Okay. So where do we look? We look where we always look, to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. And by his cross, Jesus lifts you out of that defensiveness and that that drivenness. He lifts you out of that by his grace so that you can abide in him and believe that he still redeems messes. That's the cross. The other instrument of Jesus, which I want to emphasize this morning, is the yoke. The yoke. Jesus leads us forward with his yoke to be fruitful for him with rest in our soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, what does it say? You know, come to me, all you who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. Say it with me, because I am gentle and lowly and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light i want you to remember this principle jesus yoke will always change you without ever crushing you Jesus' yoke will always change you as he leads you forward without ever crushing you. You will become ever more fruitful under Jesus' yoke, finding rest for your soul. In the words of the Puritan preacher Samuel Rutherford, he said, Jesus' yoke for you is what wings are to a bird. It is what sails are to a ship. So guess what? If you feel crushed this morning by that burden of, I need to do more, I should do more, there's so many needs, I need to do more, that's not Jesus' yoke. That's the yoke of your own drivenness. And Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke 
I'll show you how to be fruitful. I'll show you how to live out your faith with much fruit, and you will find rest for your soul. That's part one, examine. Okay, engage. In the second part of this passage, James wants to show us how our faith and works can engage those faith challenges that are staring you in the face. One integrated life, faith and works, facing up to your faith challenges. So he's going to try and encourage us. Verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Okay, he's not very encouraging yet, but he's going to get encouraging. He is starting to warm up here. Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And the Greek text uses the word synergy here. His faith and works were synergized. And faith was completed by his works. And as a result, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Make a note of that. That's an important verse. It's Genesis 15, 6. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by Faith alone, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, the theological elephant. Because James says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And he says that. Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac and that Rahab was justified by works when she sent the, uh, the scouts, the, the spies, out by another way. And Paul says, we're going to look at two verses from Paul. Paul says in Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul also says in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So who's right? Paul or James? Are we justified before God, declared righteous by God, by faith alone in Christ or by faith in works? Some of you know, you've been around church for a while, I just want to clarify this, that justification means God declaring us righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But let me just say this this morning. Sometimes we think of God declaring us righteous as a cold, impersonal, judicial process in which we play the Jesus card. But God delights. God is so glad to declare you righteous because you share the righteousness of Jesus Christ by your faith in him by which he has joined you to him. It's just wonderful. Okay, so three reasons. This is important to resolve this. So let, bear with me. I want to give you three quick reasons why I believe that James and Paul are in total agreement. Reason number one, if you want to jot this down, Acts 15. Acts 15. 
Paul and James knew each other. They respected each other. They worked together. And in the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, Paul and James and others, they put together as a team a church-wide document which made crystal clear that the Gentiles are justified by faith in Christ alone apart from any works of the law. So we should expect James and Paul to be in agreement. That's point one. Second reason, there is a big difference between works of the law and works of love and mercy. We're going to look at those two verses from Paul once again. And in red, notice that it says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In Romans, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul is saying no one can be justified by works of the law. James is saying no one is sanctified apart from works of love and mercy. Two different kinds of works. And Paul says, amen, James. Well said. Look at these examples from, from Paul. He says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Sounds like James. Romans 13, Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the same royal love that Pastor Charlie mentioned in James 2, 8 last Sunday. And one more, and there are many, but one more. Ephesians 2, 10, after saying in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we are not justified by works, but by grace through faith, Paul says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul is focusing on we're not justified by works of the law. James is saying we show that we have faith in Christ by works of love and mercy. One more reason, just bear with me a little bit more. Paul and James use the word justified, same word justified, in two different ways for two different reasons. Two different ways and two different reasons. But the interesting fact is that they both use, as an example, Abraham and the same verse in Abraham's life, which is Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul uses Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness in Galatians uh, 3 and Romans 4 to say, of course, Abraham was justified by faith. There were no works of law for him to do. In Genesis 15, 6, there was no law. Case closed. Slam dunk. He was justified by faith. James says in verse 23, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And then what is the example he uses? Offering Isaac. When did that happen? 30 years after Genesis 15, 6. James is saying Abraham demonstrated his righteousness by offering, he demonstrated what happened in Genesis 15, 6 by offering his son Isaac in Genesis 22. So why would these two men use justified in a different way? Two audiences. 
Paul is writing mostly to Gentile believers who are falling away from grace and beginning to try and earn their salvation by works of the law. Abraham, uh, James, excuse me, is writing to Jewish believers. And these Jewish believers are afraid to live out their faith. Sometimes like us. Their strategy is, well, we're harassed, we're hounded, we're persecuted, people don't like us. Let's lie low. Fly under the radar. Stay off the grid. And James is saying that kind of faith doesn't work and it never has worked. And I have some good news for you if you're afraid. I'm going to give you two examples of people who engaged God by faith in the middle of their challenges and they saw God work in tremendous ways. Abraham and Rahab. So first, Abraham. We know that story. God tests Abraham. He calls him to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Abraham puts it. Can you imagine that? There's nothing we love more than our kids. Why, Lord? Abraham lays Isaac on the altar, draws his knife. And exactly that moment, the angel of the Lord the pre-incarnate Christ says, don't lay a hand on the boy. God provides the ram caught by his horns in the thicket. Abraham names that place Yahweh, Yireh. God will provide because God said, the only son who's going to be provided for a sacrifice is my son for you. Rahab, she couldn't be more different than Abraham. Abraham is an elderly, wealthy, prominent, nomadic rancher. Rahab, a young Canaanite woman, lives in the fortified city of Jericho where she survives by living as a prostitute. She's a woman used by men, abused by men, a seemingly throwaway woman, person, who has no value except to provide sexual gratification for others. Who would ever care about her? Who would ever look at her? God would. The secret Israeli scout team comes to where Rahab is working. Some people have said, what, what, were, they, what were they doing there? Um, I think it was more like a bar. Think about the bar scene in Mose Eisley, remember, in Star Wars 1. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was that kind of a place. And, and so Rahab hides the, hides the spies from the authorities, from the stormtroopers, if you will. And she tells them, we've heard some amazing things. We've heard about your God. We've heard about how he dried up the Red Sea. And then she says to them, in Joshua 2.11, and when we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, she says, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And Rahab is going to engage with this God and decide, am I going to trust in my fortified city? Is that where my faith will be? Or will I put my faith in this God who has just come knocking on my door? And what I love about Rahab is that she doesn't let the sexual abuse 
the brokenness that she has suffered, she doesn't let that keep her from engaging with God. Instead, remember what she did? She hung a red cord in her window as a symbol of her faith in God's redeeming grace. And she said, come get me, God. Yeah, come get me. And then we'll see what a mighty God like you can do with someone like me. And, and James uses Abraham and, and, and Rahab to say, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your circumstances are. If you'll put your faith, if you'll engage God by faith and works, you will see God work. So what's the challenge you have to engage this morning? Mount Moriah, to lay down your greatest treasure and put it by faith on God's altar? Or is it a Jericho situation? God is saying, leave your fortified city or don't for me. Choose. Or maybe it's just a messy challenge where God has asked you to step, step into by faith where somebody is physically, emotionally, spiritually hungry without clothing. Every day, dear brothers and sisters, in, in so many ways, we have an opportunity to take a step forward of faith and engage the God of grace. Because don't miss the grace in this passage. Yes, Abraham offered up Isaac by faith, but it was God's grace that saved Isaac, it was God's grace that said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing for all the families of the earth. And it was God's grace that completed that promise in Abraham's life. Jesus Christ, his descendant, to the point where Paul would say, if you belong to Christ, you're an offspring of Abraham and you're an heir of the promise of Genesis 12, grace. And yes, Rahab hid the spies by faith, but it was God's grace that came and, and rescued her and gave her a husband and gave her a son. A son who later married another woman who that culture considered a throwaway woman. A woman named Ruth. Rahab's son was Boaz. They married. Had a son, Obed. Rahab's grandson was the grandfather of King David from whose lineage comes King Jesus, full of grace and truth. Do you, do you see it? Do we see it this morning? Our puny faith steps in to engage, but it is, it is always, always, always God's awesome, this awesome God's mighty, empowering grace that comes flowing into our life through Christ. To save us. And we say, we say you're saved by faith in Christ. It's okay to say that. But it actually would be more clear to say you're saved by Jesus Christ himself. Through faith in him by grace. And I stress that because I know my puny, fickle faith isn't strong enough to save anything. But it can step forward to engage with the God of all grace. I want to show you an image here of the uh, house that our Guatemalan missions team helped to build for a, 
uh, a widow and her children there. Uh, her name is Aura. Uh, you can see, I think, pretty clearly this house is not a masterpiece. Um, it, is a, uh, it is a work of faith glued together with grace. And I, I want to ask you to do something this morning. And take your phone. I want you to take your phone and take a picture of that image. So do that right now, if you would. Just take a picture of the image because it's going to be a spiritual discipline for this week. I want you to take a picture, and for five days, I want to ask you to look at this image with the verse, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see that the things that you do for Christ by faith, the works that you do by faith in Christ are not the masterpiece. They are not a masterpiece. You are the masterpiece. Surprise. Yeah, you're, you are the masterpiece. Created anew in Jesus Christ. That is the gaping hole in the good without God argument. Can you do good things without God? Sure. You can't do any God things without God. You can't do any of these God things that he prepared before eternity, in eternity past, that he prepared beforehand for you, God things for you to do because you are created anew in Jesus Christ. Without faith in Christ, we are only as good as our last good deed. And so here's what James wants us to remember this morning. The faith that works is the faith in Christ that steps forward to engage God's grace in a messy world. Faith in Christ works in a messy world by the power of God's grace. And Jen Pollock, Michelle, she finished up her testimony saying this, even though I haven't conquered my resistance to showing up, what has changed is this, I can now see, I can now visualize another world where the work of many hands makes lighter the efforts of love for a mother, for her children, and for this noisy, messy gift that we call life. Where's God calling you for? What, what do you need to step in and engage in your messy world? In a Mount Moriah, Jericho, or just somebody nearby who needs the love and mercy that Jesus Christ has placed in your heart? Could, could we step forward this morning as a very imperfect church <laughs> to discover life in the power of God's grace and to share that life-changing grace with others through the faith in Christ that always works? Let's pray.